everybody, and welcome to the Scott Steadman Podcast. Hopefully, you guys are having a great weekend to your uh, busy week that you guys have been having. And uh, today, we are actually going to be uh, speaking, and we, I mean me and Micah, as always, uh, and we're going to be actually talking about um, volunteers in ministry. I know when we say the word volunteer, you know, some people have great feelings about that. Some people kind of have very hesitant feelings about volunteers, uh, but I want to really highlight volunteers in ministry because whether, how, regardless of how you feel about it, volunteers are, I'd say, are kind of important to any type of ministry. So Micah, uh, how do you view volunteers in the church or even in any type of uh, religious ministry? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me as always. Um, I think volunteers are one of the most crucial parts of everything we do in ministry. Um, I actually just, uh, for your listeners, I teach, um, a course in leadership focus. And if, you know, they don't know what leadership focus is, it's kind of the, the ordination process, uh, within the church of God Anderson that you go through to become an ordained pastor. Um, and I'm a coach for, for leadership focus. And I teach a course, um, just, you know, talking about what kind of leader you are and competencies and talk about assessments and, and disc and, and, and different things, Enneagram and different things like that. Um, but today, actually, right before we recorded this episode, I recorded or didn't record. I um, taught one of my classes and we focused heavily on assimilation and we focused heavily on volunteers. And I think it's, it's kind of fitting now that I think about it, because when you texted me earlier today when we were going to record this, um, I didn't realize how much we were going to focus on volunteers in my class. So uh, I think volunteers are the majority, um, the majority of importance in ministry. Right. And uh, we were talking in my class. uh, There's a passage in Exodus where uh, Jethro is talking to Moses. Right. Mm -hmm. And he he's basically lecturing Moses on Moses. You're a great leader, but you can't do everything yourself. And (laughs) he then uh, just basically in a loving way told Moses to, um, you know, get some people, equip some people and, and and give those leaders some responsibility. So later on in that passage, it, it talks about, you know, Moses listened to Jethro and Moses uh, began to, to form leaders and, and put people around him and equip him and, and, and basically form a team. Right. Cause he realized yeah. that he shouldn't do it on his own. And um, yeah. So volunteers are everything we do in ministry from recruiting to equipping, to giving them the keys to the kingdom and to um, raise up other leaders. And hopefully um, not that you want to be replaceable, but create that deep bench, so to speak, of, of people that are willing to serve in areas like youth ministry and children's ministry and worship ministry and tech. And, you know, maybe you have a, uh, a guy or a gal who comes to your church and maybe they used to be a pastor and maybe they can speak. And Scott, maybe when you go on vacation, they can fill in for you. Like mm-hmm. uh, because they they have that experience and they want to help you and support you. Maybe they're not a paid pastor on staff. Maybe they don't even want to be, but they want to volunteer their time and continue to 
serve the Lord in some way, shape, or form. And maybe that's, you know, speaking in youth ministry. Maybe that's filling the pulpit. Maybe that's leading worship. Maybe that's, you know, running sound or live stream or, or, or whatever, right? Um, so volunteers can come in all shapes and sizes and serve in various areas of ministry. So I think they're very important to what we do. Yeah, and, and I would agree with you about volunteers like they are it's when you think about when you think about a volunteer in ministry you know basically for any ministry to thrive you're going to have to have volunteers because you know unless you have I mean I would even say even like your big mega churches you still need volunteers and even like uh, Micah when we went through the whole uh, Hillsong documentary even a church as big as Hillsong, that's a international church that has many employees, pastors, a school, musicians, worship team, everything else. Still, the whole greeting team, everybody is a volunteer that kind of helped. Um, I had a friend, I knew, had a friend who went to Elevation Church, and their experience was basically. People were reaching out to me. I was interested. People reaching out to me, talking to me, saying, hey, you should come, kind of building those relationships in a digital space. And then they finally were able to come to the physical location to go to Elevation. And yet all those people were unpaid volunteers. Mm-hmm. So any type of, and again, me being in a camp ministry, you know, we had our staff that was paid, but then we had volunteers that were counselors. And if we didn't have volunteers counseling, then either A, some of the staff would have to go out and be counselors. And if we still didn't have enough, then we'd have to, we wouldn't be able to have a week of camp. We would have to shut out on a whole summer camp because really summer camp only thrived with not only counselors coming, but uh, volunteer counselors coming, but then also them kind of pouring into the campers that are within their cabins, which there's something you said when you're mentioning the whole Exodus passage with Moses and Jethro. And one of the key things is, you know, that idea of training and equipping people. And when you look about volunteers, one of the things is you have to equip people to um, do the things that they need to do. Um, Because if you don't equip them well, then you're going to have volunteers who are going to do stuff and it may not necessarily be in line with your vision, your mission, your camp rules, whatever the case may be. And it could kind of be detrimental as well. So I say all that to say that, you know, volunteers are very important, but at the same time, volunteers have to be trained, especially and not necessarily trained on how to do things, but really be trained in the, vision that that the pastor or the leadership team has for the ministry that they're going to be serving in yeah um yeah those are those are great points and um i think the i think we we tend to uh, tend to as leaders ever think that right i think that like church shouldn't be that hard church life shouldn't be that hard. Things that we do in church shouldn't be that hard. And so um, 
I'm not trying to sound ignorant when I say this, but like, it's not super hard to be a greeter. It's not super hard to be an usher. It's not super hard to do um, VBS. Um, you know, th those things aren't big asks. There are other areas of ministry that may, you know, require a little additional training, but that's okay too. And if you're, if you're in it for the right reason and, you know, it's a heart felt uh, calling and uh, situation where you want to volunteer on a weekly basis and serve, then, then God bless you. Right. If, and I'm, I'm, and I've been a big advocate of like, if, they want to be there they're going to be there does that make sense yeah mm -hmm. and they're going to serve like because they want to be there yeah and and i think that's kind of a big thing because when you think about you know i, I would say like that idea of growing up in the church you know you kind of start off or at least for me growing up in the church you know i was a volunteer i would help out at functions even when i was in youth group when i was doing camp ministry i was a volunteer and then once I finally got to the point where now I'm staff, I'm camp staff, I'm pastoral staff, um, there's kind of a shift in some ways, you know, on how we view volunteers. I think from a volunteer perspective, there's this idea that I want to be a part of what's going on because I'm invested in what's going on. I see something worthwhile uh to do like I, I believe in the mission i believe in the values that this church or this camp ministry or this para ministry is doing that i want to volunteer and be a part of when you're on staff then it's like okay well i still believe in the value and the mission and everything but there's also benefits like i get paid i may get some type of benefits. I may get something, but at the same time, I also have responsibilities. If a volunteer messes something up, worst thing is you just ask the guy, the guy or the girl saying, sorry, you can't volunteer. You can't, you can't be a camp counselor anymore. Uh, when you're, when you're um, employed, then it's different because then if you mess up and you have more responsibilities, then it becomes a little bit different. Um, so I think, um, so I guess, how do you view you know, shift, you know, for yourself, you know, growing up, maybe volunteering in ministry and now kind of being a staff person, like, how do you view the difference between those two worlds of being a staff and being a volunteer? I think that, you know, and, and I think I shared this in another episode, but like last year, you know, I had the privilege of serving as an interim, uh, worship pastor at a church in, in our area. And, um, the cool part about that was I got to lead worship, but the also, but also the cool part was that, you know, being the interim, I had no, like, I guess, sentimental attachment to that ministry. I was just asked to come in and lead worship and, and, you know, I would come in, I would share a devotional, pray with the team, run the rehearsal, you know, on Wednesday night or Thursday night or whenever we did that. And then on Sundays when we did, uh, we would do a sound check run through and then we would, uh, we would do the service. Like I had no like long-term commitment and I knew that going in, but there was a little bit of freedom in that too. Right. Like I, I didn't have to do the budget. I didn't have to attend staff meetings. I didn't have to like do the, the everyday asks of, of somebody who's full-time or even part-time on staff at a church. Um, 
And I think that goes along with, with volunteers. Like, like you said before, Scott, like if somebody screws up on a Sunday morning, you just have that conversation with them, either a let's work on that. Let's get better, show them how to improve. Or, you know, if they don't want to serve anymore or don't feel like they're going to be able to handle that, then maybe they don't serve. And, um, I guess the way that I guess that I view it is, well, does the church, A, does the church have the ability to support you being more than a volunteer? Mm. If so, I think you have to, to prove that you're, you're willing to take on that responsibility. Great example of that is that when I worked at uh, a ministry a couple of years ago, my wife and I went through some stuff and I was, I was worship pastor on staff at a church and decided to resign, walk away and then find a church to go to. We ended up at this church and right away we didn't get super involved from the, you know, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some transitions in ministry that kind of forced our hands, not like forced our hands, forced our hands, but just like where we just kind of jumped into action because that's who we are. Mm-hmm. And so um, having the creative arts pastor background that I do, you know, we, we jumped into action we began to serve and, you know, I would lead worship, you know, bi-weekly and then pastor kind of, uh, you know, equipped me to, to take on the task of some of the production things with live streaming and lighting and sound and media before they hired a new uh, creative arts pastor. Um, and that went on for about, you know, six, seven months. Uh, and, you know, at the end of that six, seven months, you know, we had went through the transition. We hired a new creative arts pastor. Um, they didn't pay me a lot or at all, I don't believe. But, like, I think towards the end of the year, towards Christmas, after we got through the transition, they gave my wife and I, like, I don't know, a, a check, like, for, like, a significant amount of money. It wasn't, like, you know, a salary or anything. But it was it was a gift, right, for, for putting in all those hours. Um, and then after the holidays, towards the first of the year after um, we got through the holidays, they asked me if I was interested in, um, you know, coming on staff, even in a part-time role. And I said, sure, because, you know, I got comfortable with the ministry. I, you know, was able to recruit volunteers and, you know, I went through the motions of this is what this church needs for this season. And, um, I just felt in that moment that if, if we were supposed to be there, that God was going to bless and take care of us. And then eventually even, um, you know, afford me the opportunity to become a staff member there, which, which it all worked out. But in reference to your question, um, I think it just, I think it depends on how a, the church can afford it or not. And then B, if, um, like I was saying earlier, I taught a class, um, last hour and, um, was really, uh, we, we, we hit, hit on the point where, you know, if you equip your volunteers and you lead your volunteers and your volunteers are thriving and then they, you know, recruit more volunteers and they recruit more, more volunteers and so on and so on and so on, you create that deep bench, but then maybe as a result of these people volunteering, there's a calling that comes from that where somebody feels like, Hey, maybe I'm called to be a pastor. Maybe I'm called to, to lead production or lead worship or lead mm-hmm. student ministry or lead children's ministry and so on and so forth. And that's what, in my opinion, what the gospel is about, you know, you're making disciples and I've always, 
I've used the term, I don't know if you use this uh, term or not, Scott, but like incubator church, just meaning that like, you know, Scott Siggy and I work together at a church and I'm just a lay person and I volunteer and I feel like there's a calling in my life and I work with you and work under you, you mentor me. And then a church calls me and says, hey, we have an opening. We'd love you to consider to pray about that and apply for it and say, I get it. And I come back to you and say, Scott, hey, I've been offered this job. You've created that and fostered that moment so that people can be equipped to go out and, you know, pursue ministry opportunities. So like, there's a number of ways you can look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's, and I think that's key because with those two worlds, they're slightly different, but they're both equally important. Mm-hmm. And even like, you know, the way I got on the staff at camp is I was a volunteer and the director liked my work, liked what I did, and basically was like, okay, you can come and you can, and basically ask me if I would want to be on staff next year. And it's like, absolutely. And that's how it went. Um, I also think that sometimes when you're on staff, there's more of the responsibility, but there's also more of the rewards. And speaking in camp ministry, like, and this is just a weird story, but I can remember counseling an entire year of the summer in a way to kind of be in good graces to get on staff and it, it worked. So my, my devious plan worked, I guess, uh, <laughs> but there's another guy who was doing the same thing. And during fifth and sixth grade camp, uh, he lost control of his cabin. Uh, some information came out and he was asked to go home. And obviously he was not asked to come back to council and he was not asked to come back on staff at the same time, the staff, had some inner turmoil going on. So luckily when camp was over for the week, I, I was allowed to stay on camp, uh, stay on campgrounds for the week and got to bond with some of the staff there. And that kind of helped too. Um, And it was also a good way of just kind of knowing the staff so that if I did get on staff, I know people's personalities. I know their character. I know kind of the culture of, staff not just what i see in front of me but kind of what i see behind the curtain as well um which then when we had a new director and i was on staff we had a new director uh the director kind of put a stop to just volunteers staying over the weekend especially if they had like a three-hour drive like if they're living in cincinnati it's like sorry you have to drive home you can't just stay for Friday, Saturday, and then be here Sunday to counsel. If you're counseling next week, you have to go home. And I'm thinking, well, that's not fair because I was able to do that. But I also understood why in some cases, because there's sometimes where you had counselors, volunteers who kind of took advantage of some of the opportunities that were given to staff members that volunteers usually don't get. So it, it was weird. So I think that was just the weird dynamic when it came to that versus of volunteers and staff at the same time i think when you're training people especially when you see leadership potential in counselors and even in campers who are old enough to counsel and you're kind of investing in them i think that is a very um important factor and i think there's also important factors that volunteers need too when they decide to work in ministry so michael what do you think are the most important factors that volunteers want or need when they're serving um, in a ministry? Um, 
I think I, just just to be valued and to be to be known. Okay. Um, I think uh, I think a lot of times we take for granted the volunteers that serve around us um, and and all they bring. They may not be the the best at what they do, and they they may like truly be a volunteer and 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 all sense of all senses of the word like i think that um i don't know say that somebody's managing your social media at your church Mm -hmm. and they've never taken a graphic design class in their life yeah but they're doing that because they feel called and you've equipped them with that responsibility and they're the sweetest person on the planet then god bless you you're gonna do it but like I feel like I'm referencing my meeting, uh, the class that I taught last, last hour a lot, but like we talked about that too. Um, just appreciating your volunteers, not just saying thank you on Sunday morning, like, you know, have those, those one-on-one moments with those people, uh, take them to coffee, take them to lunch, uh, make sure that they're in a life group, uh, make sure that they're getting connected with other pastors and other teams and other staff and other, um, lay people within the church and uh having you know i don't know quarterly banquets uh appreciation banquets for for all of your volunteers to uh let you let them know how much you you love and appreciate them and 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 all the hard work that that goes unnoticed um each and every week so um i guess just to be valued and appreciated and then um just making sure that they know that uh, what they're doing is making a kingdom impact and to make sure that uh, they're equipped. Right. Mm -hmm. So like maybe there's an update on, on a media software for the week and something goes completely awry and they don't know how to do something now. Make sure you take that moment to, to make sure that they're okay and make sure they're good to go. Right. Make sure you're, uh, you're equipping them. So yeah, that would be like my long and short answer of it. Like just make sure they're loved, appreciated, equipped and um, cared for. Yeah. And, and I would agree with you with that. And actually I kind of looked to just see like, oh, what are something that volunteers really need? Um, and I happened to find some random article from outreach.com. And one of the interesting things, like they've hit on at least two of the three things that were on here. One of them was making sure they feel appreciated and then making sure that their work is meaningful. Like those are the, probably one of the two um, main things that volunteers uh, want. But the one thing, which I think is one thing that I think a lot of churches failed to do is making sure that they give their volunteers breaks. Yes. That's another thing. That's, Absolutely. I think in, in, so, and just to kind of put this in perspective, like, you know, I pastored a small church and I tried my best to try to push certain things so that, especially within our children's programs, because we really had two Sunday school teachers for the kids programs and they were the same teachers. They had no replacements. Like literally if one person decides to go on vacation, the other one would just have a joint class. Um so there was always, and even the idea of them sitting in adult Sunday school class was very appealing to them. They liked the idea. 
at the same time, they're kind of like, well, I don't know if I can do that because of the responsibility that they have with teaching kids. Um, and I even know one lady said, oh, I can't do it anymore. So she kind of stepped down. And then next thing you know, probably about a month, she said, okay, I'm ready to teach again. And she got back up and teach. And I think she just needed that break. But even me trying to do that, there are some times where I had volunteers that were just like, or other people who were not willing to step in or not willing to say, hey, I'll give up a week of my Sunday school time to go teach some kids. They're like, no, I want my adult Sundays don't want to give that up and you know when I think about burnout you know we talk about pastors being burned out but volunteers can easily get burned out especially if you put so much pressure on them and then I think even not only that but even if you're not being appreciated and like like you said Micah you know don't just say oh hey let's thank our volunteers and give a clap 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 on the stage but to have that one-on-one -on -one connection Tell them how much you appreciate the work that they're doing and and how and not necessarily, oh, a blanket statement of, hey, you're really doing great stuff for the kingdom, but more likely, hey, I appreciate the work that you're doing. I, as your pastor, appreciate you and values you and think that you're doing an excellent job. And I'm seeing the kids that are under your care shining and growing because I'm witnessing it. I mean, I'd, I would say that to the Sunday school teachers with my kids, like, hey, I'm really seeing a lot of fruit growing in my son. And I want to thank you for that because you're doing a great job of teaching my son during Sunday school. Well, and I think too, it's important, A, to give your volunteers a break. So, you, um, and if I could piggyback off of that, like yeah. to not let one person do the same thing all the time because mm -hmm. then they become territorial over it. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I, I'm sorry, I dropped something. I'm trying to pick it up. <laughs> like random things like, but um, yeah, I mean, because even at the church that I'm attending now, as I'm waiting for my transition, like their volunteer schedule for their Sunday school, each volunteer teaches once a month. Like, once a month, they're required to come and teach once a month, and then that's it. And because they have enough volunteers that they can do that. And I'm thinking, wow, what's that like? <laughs> because right, that like? right. Because most churches I know, it's not that. It's yeah. not, oh, you get to teach once a month. You're teaching, if maybe two times a month or probably three times a month. And maybe the one time you do have it is because there's a special Sunday where we're not having Sunday school and we're doing like a big joint thing, like, like something like that, where it's like, Oh, um, so yeah, I would say those are appreciate. Those are pretty good. And the other thing I would add too, is I heard a statistic that when a new person comes to your church, especially if there's somebody who's a Christian or someone who's has a church background, when they come to a new church, 90% of the time, they want to serve. So like if, Mike, if you're a pastor of a church and I show up, more likely I want to serve in the church. But I may not know how. I may not know the proper channels of how to do something or how to serve. 
And if, and I believe within six months, if I'm there for six months and I have had not one opportunity to serve or no person has, or if I reached out and no one's gotten back to me, the more likely I'm probably not going to stick around and stay at your church. And I think that number's probably increased greater because I know, especially for younger people, millennials and Gen Z, they want to serve. They want to make big impacts. Um, they, they're very big as far as volunteering their time to do stuff with, you know, different organizations. So the fact that if you have them in your church, more likely they 100% want to serve. And I think as far as church leaders, if you see a young person in your church and they're not serving, it's probably a good idea to reach out, make that personal contact with them and just kind of ask the question, would you like to serve? What ministry do you like to serve? And just kind of be open to listening to where their gifts and talents want to serve. Or maybe they have an idea to kind of start a new ministry in your church that you as a church leader never thought of. And it's like, oh yeah, let's do that. Um, so I think those are some key things that I think some important factors that volunteers need. They want to be appreciated. Um, they want their work to be meaningful. And then I think they also want to be able to have some breaks too, so they don't get burned out. Yeah. Do you, these are all great points. Do you, like, I, I just want to go back real quick, but like how important is it that the same person isn't doing the same thing every single week? Uh, I say vital. It's, it's, I think it's very important. And I think. And I have a reason why I'm asking this. I, I mean, I, I think there is a territorial thing that goes on. I also think that a lot of times, and, and by territorial, I mean, A, well, this is my classroom. So it's a area or it's a culture that I get to control, right? So if I'm a Sunday school teacher, I get to control this environment. So if I have someone else step in, or even if I have a helper, if I'm used to not having a helper and all of a sudden I have a helper now, then I'm going to take control and have ownership. And sometimes this helper who wants to serve can't serve because there's like an invisible barrier where the person in charge is pushing them away. I think in smaller churches as well, a lot of times crafts, crayons, scissors, paper, all that stuff that's provided by the Sunday school teachers out of their own pocket. Sure. Sometimes the church doesn't pay for that. So the fact that, you know, sister Mary bought all these crafts and this is her room. And then all of a sudden someone else is coming in and they're using her scissors, her markers, her glue sticks, her paper, her resources that are now being used up for something they're doing. And she's like, well, when I teach, I don't have my resources and you didn't pay for them. So yeah, there is a little bit of a territorial thing that goes on there. Yeah. So recently, um, a, a church that I have consulted with and that I'm coaching, uh, I've, <laughs> it's a smaller church. Um, the sound guy is very, very territorial. Mm. Um, so much so that, you know, I found out that he, he he and his family donated the money to buy the new soundboard. Oh. And I think, but he's also ran sound there for like 30 years. And so like he very territorial. So I have a background of running um, sound. Um, 
and uh, a couple months ago, uh, they had a Wednesday night rehearsal for the worship team, and some, they couldn't get something on, and he wasn't able to be there for a rehearsal. So the bass player, who has no idea how to do sound, went up there and pressed a button and messed it all up. <laughs> I was able to fix it for the moment, but Scott, I don't know how much you know about sound, but like one of the most common things with a digital board, for example, is that you can save a scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you get your mix where you want it, you can save it. You can put it, there's like a bank and most boards up to a hundred saving, you know, a hundred scenes that you can save. So if you have four volunteers, each of them can have their own scene that they want to save on how they want to mix and what, and so on and so forth. So he came in that Sunday and he blew a gasket because somebody messed up his soundboard. The, mm. the church's soundboard, but his soundboard. His soundboard, yeah. And uh, I, I just stood there and watched him just blow a gasket. Um, and I asked, I'm like, hey, do you save, did you save a scene? Do you save the scene? Because this is a digital board. Did you save the scene? He's like, no, I don't like to save a scene. Why don't you like to save a scene? Well, I, I just, I do it like once every six months. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't know how to save a scene. Yeah. And so a couple of weeks go by, we fixed the, we fixed the problem. A couple of weeks go by. I walk in on Sunday morning. I'm like, I'm just going to figure out how to save the scene on this board. And it took me less than two minutes, right? Because, you know, millennial, smartphone, YouTube, ah. right? And, like, I, I figured it out. He got, you can ask my wife, he got so mad that I figured out how to do that. I, and it just blows my mind because, and, and it just, all that to say, just very territorial of of that and um it just amazes me and, and and i believe the words that came out of his mouth was like my soundboard instead of the church's soundboard mm. like whether he was joking or not that it, it just became a very hostile and territorial kind of situation so yeah. um but i've also worked in larger ministries where scott like you're saying we have four sound people we have four media people we have four people that run run lighting we have two to four people that run cameras and and live stream switchers and we have four teams of people that sing on the worship team we have two drummers and two bass players and two guitar players and like so like if you can't be there you can have somebody fill in for you or you can play on a bi-weekly basis or serve on a you know once a month basis and i think that's great because you can go be with your family and go to church with your family and you know not have to carry the burden of serving every single week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And kind of to wrap up this volunteer aspect, I think there's another key to having a good volunteer. And that's how does church leaders or church mentors shape healthy volunteers? Because again, you can have, you may have someone who, wants to volunteer, but they may not necessarily, A, be a good volunteer, not because of skill, but maybe it could be because of character, personality. So as leaders, how do we take somebody who wants to serve and how do we mentor them to the point where they can be very efficient with the ministry or the 
thing that they're trying to do within the church? Yeah, I think it starts with with the pastor. I think it starts with the lead guy and and what his vision is and or her vision is and what God has given uh, to them. And uh, the butt kind of stops with them, right? And what what they feel and uh, their own discernment in reference to what the they feel the the Lord is calling them to do. Like, you know, if 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 our church is you know Church of the Cross, uh, and our mission statement is we want to be more like Jesus. Everybody who serves, who is a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader or a sound engineer or a worship leader knows that our vision is we want to be more like Jesus, right? So like uh, knowing the culture, knowing the mission statement, knowing what the expectation is of volunteers. Um, and again, I, I spoke on this uh, in my class, but uh, we, you know, in one of the churches I worked in, the connections pastor really focused on that at the beginning and end of each uh, life group semester. Right. So once in the fall and once in the spring. So like in the fall, you know, in August before life groups launched, we, they met on everybody that was a life group leader would, would, uh, would show up on, on a Saturday morning and they would feed them a continental breakfast with coffee and donuts and all that fun stuff. And they would get together, they would pray. And then they would just talk about how, how this semester is going to go. This is the series we're doing. These are the questions that we're going to be asking. These are uh, kind of our guidelines as volunteers. Um, and then uh, basically it's just, it's a process that you can just set people up to win, right? It's just like a, a crash course on this is what we expect from our volunteers and our life group leaders. And at the end of the semester, we have kind of a reception uh, um ceremony not really a ceremony more more of more or less like a like a dinner or something an appreciation dinner sort of like what i talked about earlier with volunteers but just to let them know that they're appreciated and loved and you know thank them for their effort of of being a life group leader um but yeah i think the buck starts and stops with with the vision uh that the lead pastor is feeling um and that may change from time to time but like if you know what is expected and there's that clear cut vision and stuff is in place and you equip your leaders, then I think they're going to be successful and you're going to set them up for a win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I would also think that, you know, I heard, a, I heard a statistic because again, like I'm like right now I'm re in Ashland, Ohio right now going through my doctorate training and through I'm taking a course on relational leadership and, What's very surprising is that, you know, a lot of times we always hear that, well, in any church, 10% of the total congregation is going to be your, your team, your volunteers, your, your main workers is 10%. Um, that's average. And then out of your entire congregation, 10% is also the people who are also funding the church, um, tithing regularly, or maybe your big donors that are giving to the church. So a lot of times when it comes to volunteers, you have 10% of people who are actively serving while the 90 are kind of maybe kind of serving or dormant. And one of the, I think the key things as a pastor, because sometimes it's like, well, I need a bunch of volunteers, but sometimes I feel like I can't get through to the entire body. 
hey, you know, you may say, hey, we need volunteers for vacation Bible school, and you may only get a fraction of what you're thinking you need. And one of the things I think you need to shape healthy volunteers is really invest your life and invest your ministry into that 10%. Because if you can invest deeply into that 10% and lead them and train them and equip them, but most importantly, be a good character, a good model of what Jesus has done, show humility, show Christ-like character. And if you can do that and get people on board with your mission, with the vision for the church, and even to serve, then the 10% is going to go and excite the 90%. Yeah. And I think that's, and I think a lot of times I see so many church leaders or pastors are always beating their heads against the wall because they're like, well, how come no one wants to serve in the church? How come no one wants to do this? How come no one wants to do that? And it's like, because you're up there, you make a slide, you send out a newsletter, you send out an e email, you send out a postcard, you do all this communication to say, hey, we need help, we need Sunday school teachers, we need this, we need that. And yet, not one person is pouring in or investing in somebody and saying, hey, I think you... I think you're really good with kids. I see how kids engage with you, how they interact with you. Would you be interested in learning how to teach Sunday school? Or oh, would and, and, and that's why I think it's so important, Scott, to have those plans in place and those systems in place so that when those occasions arise, right? Like if, you know, you have a volunteer that, you know, like you said earlier, if you came to a church that I was pastoring at and, you know, chances are you may want to get plugged in and you want to get, you know, you, you want to start volunteering. And if you don't have those systems in place, then how, how are they going to get off the ground? How are they going to hit the ground running as volunteers? Exactly. Or you have someone who wants to serve and they say, okay, go into this classroom you're teaching or you're helping. And then you have either the territorial person who's not going to let them lead. And it's, and again, it's kind of like, okay, or B, they're going to have no clue what they're, what they're doing. It's going to cause a ripple effect. And then you're just going to say, well, sorry, you can't volunteer, which is then going to, it's not their fault that things went awry. It's technically the pastor or the whoever's in charge of Sunday or a Sunday school coordinator who didn't train them. Right. I think, and, it, and I think the other thing too, is you have people that are interested in serving and you kind of keep them on the bench yeah, that doesn't. I mean, I literally was in a class with a guy, and we were talking about kind of our call. And this guy didn't really share his leadership or his call. He really shared his pain about how he's been to three different churches. In the last church, he was there for three months, and he wanted to serve, and like nothing. He tried to talk to the pastor, security guard, basically told him, "No, you're not allowed to talk to the pastor." If you want, the, if you, so he went and talked to an elder and then the elder had to talk to a pastor, like, which I thought was weird. Uh, but then the elder said, oh, hey, I think you would be good as a, I think we see your skill. You'd be good as a teacher to teach one of our men's groups. And he's like, okay, yeah, that'd be great. Send an email back, gave him his email address and yeah, send me an email, give me all the information. And then for three weeks, heard nothing. So then he left after the third week of not hearing anything back after someone said, hey, we see potential in you. We'd like you to serve. Great. I would love to serve. 
and then ghosted. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are very, like, it's, it's very important to, um, like I said before, have that plan in place, but also being willing to, I think we get caught up in the moment too, of like trying to make sure everything's perfect or trying to make sure that everything, you know, runs as smoothly as possible. Yeah. Um, uh, a good friend of mine and who I think exemplifies uh, this in a really good light. Um, my friend, Dan, uh, shout out to Dan. Uh, Dan Schaub uh, was a worship leader, worship pastor at uh, Real Church of God in Middletown mm-hmm. for 20 years. Like he was there over 20 years and uh, he's now serving. He, he's in real estate. He retired from Briel, this full-time worship pastor. Uh, went into real estate, but now he's uh, part-time uh, worship leading at a, at a smaller church in Middletown. And what I love about Dan um, is that Dan has always poured into younger worship leaders, right? And so he's always given them a chance. Like they may not be the best. They may not have a lot of stage time. They may not have went to college for it. They may not have the musical background. But like if they say, hey, I, I feel like God's calling me. I feel like God wants me to, to lead worship. Um, Dan was, in my eyes, one of the one of the greatest, greatest examples of humility in the sense of Dan's like, I've been here 20 years. I, I, sure, go ahead. Lead a song. Lead a service. I, you know, equipping the next generation for a win. Um, and I think a lot of times that ball has been dropped. Uh, so, you know, I celebrate Dan because of that, because he, he has taken the time to invest in volunteers over the years and me being one of them early on in my ministry and early on, uh, when I was getting my feet wet, leading worship, like, man, if I could go back and look at how uncomfortable I probably was on stage or look at, you know, how bad I played or whatever, it, it would have never happened if Dan didn't give me a chance. So like, that's, I think that goes along with what you're saying as we kind of wrap up this conversation about how do you shape healthy volunteers? Like, I think it starts with giving them a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of where we're at. So again, um, that's just kind of all the time we have for this episode. So guys, thank you so much for listening. And I think this is some good advice. I mean, if you're a pastor and you're listening to this, um, really show your volunteers that you care. And again, if you're a pastor of a larger church and you have many different leaders and teams, encourage your like leadership teams or your outreach teams or your family ministry teams and just say, hey, make sure you're investing and pouring in and appreciating your volunteers that are helping out because, and, and you know, do it in creative ways. You know, sometimes not just, like Micah said, don't go up on stage and say, hey, thanks for our volunteers. But really take someone out the coffee and just say, hey, I just want to let you know I appreciate everything that you're doing and how much of an impact you're making in your lives and everything else. And even offer, is there anything else that I can help you with? Is there something you feel like you're struggling with? Can I be an assistant or is there an area where you feel like you're might see as a weakness and what can I do to support you to make sure you can continue to thrive in volunteering in this ministry. So I think those are all um, important things that we have discussed. And again, if you're a volunteer and you don't feel appreciated, um, 
You know, I, I, uh, I don't even know how to answer that question. What to say to you? I mean, <laughs> Micah, you got any advice? Because there's a part of me that says, well, A, make your voice feel heard. But then there's also a part of me that if people are not appreciating your volunteerism, then it may be time to take your, like LeBron James, take your talents to South Beach. Um, <laughs> and Mike is just shaking his head at me like, no, Scott. I know you're coming back to Ohio, but LeBron James references are still kind of <laughs> still kind of hurtful in 2022, right? Like, I was a big fan of LeBron James early in his career when he was at Cleveland the first time. And uh, I saw on social media the other day that <laughs> it was like 10 years ago today that he made the decision to go to South Beach or whatever it was. And I was like, I was, I knew that he was leaving, but I was mad. So oh, that, you know, I was, that was, yeah, you knew he was leaving, but just the way he did it was. Yep. Sacked. <laughs> yep. So, but anyway, um, what was your question? No, like I guess for those who are those who are listening to the podcast who are actually volunteers and they just kind of they feel that burn, they just feel like they're not appreciative. Like, what advice would you give them, Micah? I feel like trust the process is too easy. Um, but I think if you feel that's where God has you for this season, make the most of that opportunity. And if you feel that you're released from that ministry, take that with you and pursue another ministry where you feel like you're going to be a better fit. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend and we'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, take care. Bye.